reading from the book of Jeremiah. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will break it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
by the one who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became a source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. 
voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. Many late 
late-night conversations and times of deep laughter and fun. Now, one night, after a lot of socializing, I was riding my bike through the woods at 2 a.m. on my way back to my cabin. It was a moonless, starless, very dark night, and I didn't have a bike light. But I knew the path pretty well, and I kept my eye on that slightly less dark spot in front of me, where I knew that the path through the woods gave way to an open field. Unfortunately, I veered a couple inches off track and hit a boulder, slipping over my handlebars and landing in a ditch alongside the path. I knew I was okay, but I also knew that my leg was bleeding. And all I could think was, uh-oh, raccoons. I was terrified of raccoons as I had been chased by one earlier in the summer around 2 a.m. And I didn't know that raccoons could smell blood. So I jumped back on my bike and I raced back out of the woods to the safety of my cabin. And later on, remembering the fear and danger, the blood and the darkness of being alone, I shook my head at the grip that the bomb had on me. Why else would I have engaged in such a risky stunt as riding my bike through the woods in the pitch dark middle of the night? And now, today, as Holy Week approaches, I wonder what I would be willing to risk, what fears of the soul I would be willing to encounter, so as not to miss out on faith during Holy Week. Because really, Holy Week, when we engage it and surrender to it, is a very intense, scary, and very, very powerful thing to be a part of. And it will be here in seven days with Palm Sunday. Now, years ago, my understanding is that most Episcopalians went to the Palm Sunday service and some people went to Tenebrae on Wednesday night if their church offered it, and many went to church on Monday, Thursday. Now, almost everyone went to church on Good Friday to hear the passion narrative. And then, of course, the community was all together for Easter even those who only showed up twice a year. Eventually, clergy noticed that not many people were coming to Good Friday service anymore, so the passion narrative was moved to Palm Sunday, which is what we still do. It is a little odd to celebrate Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem for the Passover and then listen to him being condemned to death and being crucified all in the same hour. But at least this way, people get to experience his death before Easter, even if they don't go to church on Good Friday, because honestly, Easter is a little anticlimactic if Jesus never dies. Before I was ordained, I often avoided Holy Week services. I figured I got to hear the passion on, on Sunday and had experienced enough sadness there to make the joy of Easter make sense. But the truth is, I was avoiding going too deeply into the real darkness of Holy Week because the pain and vulnerability of Jesus' sacrifice is difficult to sit with. It strikes a chord with our own suffering, which perhaps we'd rather not look at or don't know how to look at, or don't know how to do anything about. And yet, it is in the darkness that the brightness of the resurrection
when we listen to the pain and confusion in the voices of the women who bore witness to Jesus' crucifixion, by coming on Tuesday night of Holy Week, when women read the Stations of the Cross, when we sit in the dark and listen to chants of silence and hope and lamentation during the service of Canterbury on Wednesday night, and when we hear the loud crash in that service that echoes in the crashing of our hearts, when we come on Thursday and reenact the Last Supper as we wash one another's feet, just as Jesus tended to his own friends during their last Passover, when we sign up to sit in the chapel for an hour that night, keeping watch with Jesus as the morning of Good Friday approaches. When we hear the Passion reading again at noon on Good Friday, sung during the hour that we remember Jesus' suffering and death. When we gather in darkness around the sacred fire out of the porch and listen to the stories of God and God's people throughout time on Saturday night, and we hold candles and offer our presence here as individual points of light in the darkness that precedes the resurrection. And when we baptize a child that night, and then proclaim that Easter has arrived, with joy and bells and music and light and song, and when we allow ourselves to take this journey to accompany Jesus and one another through the difficult and amazing journey of our faith, when we draw on our courage and dive into the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, then, then, we are strengthened and filled, and we know ourselves to be a part of something that transcends all else. The story of a God who suffered deeply, and thus does not leave us to suffer alone. And also the story of a God who ultimately triumphed over death and brings us to a place of triumph over everything that hurts us. We cannot know the depth of love in Easter unless we understand the depth of God's love for us in our darkest darknesses. The journey through Holy Week as we experience Jesus' darkest darkness with him is something we only get to do once a year. And so I have come to a place where I actually do get the bombs, the fear of missing something, if I think I will miss out on any of it. I do know that this year I will not be able to come to our inaugural service of Women's Voices of the Passion on Tuesday night, and I feel I am going to miss something quite powerful. I will, however, be here Wednesday through Sunday, not just because it is my job, but because I don't want to be like those Greeks at the door, waiting on the sidelines to see if Jesus will come. I want to get into the center of the action and live into the risk of going all in. Maybe you want this too. Maybe you will join us when we as a community move step by step through the next two in the 1920s, theologian Evelyn Underhill wrote that as Jesus turned from a nomadic life in Galilee to the road leading to Jerusalem, where he would find condemnation and death, he warned his disciples that if they were to continue to follow him, 
for complete transformation. Or they might be required to look into the deepest, darkest parts of themselves. Loving them as he did, I think he invited them into the scary challenge of following him to the cross. And he did so by promising that there would also be glory and joy and resurrection. His was an invitation to irrational devotion. They could not do it unless they had a touch of the bombs, the fear of missing something he said or did, something that they knew would bring them more deeply into life and more deeply into the love of God. Each of us also is given an invitation, an invitation to Holy Week, to accompany Jesus through the last days of his life, to share our own darkest moments with him as he shares his with us. It is a journey, a trip, one I don't want to miss. In an email this week about the altar guild details of Holy Week, and there are many, the head of our altar guild said it well in the last line of her email. She wrote, hang on to your hats, here we go. Here we go indeed. And I pray that we are fortified by God's love and by this community as we step together into the darkness and move toward the everlasting light of God's glory revealed to us in the resurrection.
prayers for God's people throughout the world. For Catherine, our presiding bishop. For Alan and Gail, our bishops. For Tony and Edmund, our priests. And for Rob and Janet, Judy and Henry, <coughs> our priest associates. For this gathering and for all ministers and people. In the Anglican cycle of prayer, we pray for the Diocese of Moral Laurel of Tanzania. For just Archbishop Canberra, and for the ministries of the worldwide Anglican community. In our diocesan cycle of the prayer, we give thanks for the ministry of the Great, Great Church Federated in East Boston, St. Andrew's Church, Edgartown, Great Church, Everett, for the organists, choirs, and other church musicians in our congregations, and the Leadership Development Institute. In our parish, we pray for the building project and the safety of the workers. Pray for the church. <coughs> I ask your prayers for peace, for goodwill among nations, and for the well-being of all people. Pray for justice peace. I ask your prayers for the poor, sick, the hungry, the oppressed, and those in prison. Pray for those who can need or trouble. I ask your prayers for all who seek God or a deeper knowledge of God. Pray that they may find and be found by God. I ask your prayers for the departed, especially the departed. Are there others? We remember those for whom we have been asked to pray. Meredith, Penny, Carol, Peter, Alice, Janet, Mary, Amelia, Gail, John, Robin, Rick, Susan, Raylan, Phyllis, me, Kathy and Tom, Michael, Trey, Kristen, Margaret,
Christ and with Christ and in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, you be honored, glory, and praise forever and ever. Amen.
serve you with a quiet mind. Christ.